What, what, what the hell is he doing up there then? That's ridiculous, Carolyn. No, no, that's ridiculous. Is he sleeping? Dude, I wouldn't say I'm sorry. That's not the rule, Carolyn. Oh, what a moment in tennis history that was. <laughs> and a beautiful opportunity to start an episode differently for us. Yeah, did, you know, a little uh, creative audio editing. I didn't know that I had the capability. You are so proud of that intro. I was, and your reception was like a little bit muted, but I, I think you liked it. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> other than, I think... That that intro and your brilliant work is worth at least a handful of donations to our GoFundMe. <laughs> wow. How about that very, segue? Very slick. Welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. This is our third Australian episode. Australian mm. Open episode. Yes. Uh, before we get started, the obligatory plug, which I tried to segue into, but then you were just like, oh, oh this is the Body Serve. GoFundMe still open. If you've contributed 75, 150, or 250, please hit us up with your addresses. Email us at thebodyserve at gmail.com. DM on all socials, what have you. Send us your addresses. We need them. We're getting we're getting into that part of the campaign. Yeah. Postcard and two bookmarks, new bookmarks. We've got about uh, a little over a week left with the campaign. So if you haven't yet contributed and you plan to, still got time. Where are we in the draws? On both sides of the draw, men's and women's, we are in the quarterfinals. It's a, During Islam, it's so hard to keep up because a lot of what we'll talk about might be moot when you listen to this episode. So we'll lean less on uh, forecasting and talk about kind of how we got here. I will say I'm looking forward to a semi-normal sleep schedule because <laughs> an early night for me now is 5 a.m. <laughs> yeah, you know... As we get older, I think we have to ration the matches that we're willing to stay up till six, seven in the morning. Yeah. I'm not, I'm just not doing it for Tommy Paul. Sorry. I uh, decided that I was going to stick around for the fourth set of that match last night. I was mm -hmm. like, well, you know, let me just see through to the end of the fourth. And I fell asleep with a glass in my hand on the chair and woke up sometime later not realizing that I was still in possession of said glass, and off it went. <laughs> yep. Uh, on the floor, apparently. <laughs> Luckily, there wasn't much in it. I thought that you had spilled red wine all over one of our new-ish chairs. The sleep is at a premium during the Australian Open. Like, that stuff does not happen to me. I am not a napper. <laughs> <laughs> this is how people burn their houses down. Okay. By holding a cigarette and, you know... Let's <laughs> not get carried away here. <laughs> On the women's side, we've got eight women left in the draw. On the top half, Wimbledon champ Rybakina will play Ostapenko, the winner of which will play either Jessica Pagula or Victoria Azarenka. And then in the bottom half, 
Karolina Pliskova against, okay, Magda Lynette. <laughs> and then Arena Sabalenka against Donna Vekic. All right, starting with Rybakina, the, uh, the, the woman who beat Iga Shiontek, who won Wimbledon, who maybe has a little bit of a chip on her shoulder because she felt people ignored her Wimbledon title. This woman at her peak... I would argue is pretty close to the peak of anybody else left in this draw. You know, I reflexively would say Sabalenka, like in full flight is probably better than everyone else, but she hasn't done this before. Rybakina is a slam winner, Azarenka is, uh, Pliskova has been to several finals, Ostapenko is a slam winner. Well, let's not get away with, get ahead of ourselves with (laughs) several finals. Who? Pliskova? Pliskova. Okay, it's two. two. Isn't two. it? Two. Fine. That's two more. She's been to a couple. That's two more than Arena it's has It's not been a to. handful. It's not several. Oh. Wow. Really parsing words here. My point is that I always hesitate to say, oh, this person is a favorite if they haven't done it before. However, on the WTA, you would be proven wrong a dozen times over the past decade because there have been so many surprising young slam winners yes that doesn't make any difference to the story mm-hmm. right now if right. they haven't won because everybody's ready to win at this point the favorites before the tournament it was Sviantek and pagula wouldn't you say those were the two big favorites pagula has gone through the draw without much trouble at this point yes she's gotten to a place in her career where on a court like this and when she's playing well she is no nonsense. She can get through matches pretty quickly. Krejcikova was a challenge, but it was still straight sets. But she can win sets 6-1, 6 love, and it's so important as you get further into the tournament, mentally as well as physically. On the preview episode, I said that if you wanted to look to one specific section of the draw as being extremely important, I thought that mm, the winner of Sabalenka Bencic might be the winner of the tournament. Mm-hmm. And here we are with... Irina Sabalenka having removed Bencic from the conversation once more. But going up against someone with whom she has a 1-5 in head-to-head record. Matchups matter in this sport. Okay, but some of those matches were on the ITF circuit. (laughs) Sure. Some of them happened when Sabalenka wasn't playing at her best. Yep, yep. Vekic does have Pam Shriver in her corner. I don't know if you all caught wind of that, but Pam Shriver is coaching Vekic down under at the moment. And look, here she is, resurgent. Vekic says she wants to avenge Belinda's loss, which is like, okay, grow up. Uh, <laughs> that is all the more reason for <laughs> Arena, for me, to bring the hammer out right, in that match. Right. Uh, so getting back to Rybakina and Iga, Iga was coming in slightly vulnerable because of her loss to Pagula and how, you know, how quick it was, how decisive it was. As you said, I think I, we, and a lot of people still placed her as the favorite, maybe not the only favorite, but certainly like in that top three. She was the top favorite. Mm-hmm. At the, we have entered a Sviantec era whereby you'd be foolish to, to bet against her. And so what are the types of players that she's lost to recently. She hasn't lost very often, but her past losses have been Rabakina, Pagula, Sabalenka, Madison Keys. Krejcikova is kind of an outlier, but four of those women play boom, boom, boom tennis 
They thrive on fast surfaces. And they're able to take time away from Iga if the surface is quick, right? And that's what she does on pretty much every other court, is take time for people. Force them to run back and forth, back and forth, and just smack winners. And she wasn't able to do that against Rabakina. I don't think it's a crisis situation, but it's interesting to hear the way that Iga talks about her losses recently. Because uh, she, she's talked a lot about the mental, about just being kind of strong enough to get through these matches. And so she doesn't blame anything technical. For her, it's all psychological. Vika Azarenko was asked in her most recent press conference about playing Jesse Pagula, and she said they're great friends. But she described Jesse's game as simple. And she actually meant it as a compliment. And to me, it's crystal clear what she meant, right? She meant uncomplicated. Right. She, she just goes out there. She swings. There's not a whole lot of drama. And I think that's how Rybakina is as well. And those are the types of players that can trouble Iga. Like if you're a counterpuncher, if you're a retriever, Iga's going to pretty much wipe the floor with you. Right. Somebody but, like an Ostapenko as well. Right. And we've seen quite a few players who are left in the draw who are no-nonsense ball bashers mm-hmm. to a degree. <laughs> Which you know I enjoy. I like variety, but I also like these players who just come out and do it. Rybakin is going to play Ostapenko who just took care of Coco Goff without much ado in the fourth round. Yes. That was a tough watch <laughs> as friend, as fans of Coco Goff, but it is always so impressive to see Ostapenko when she's in that flow. She's always confident, but she's not always accurate. So in that match, she was uh, astoundingly accurate. And there, I think there are things that Coco could have done better. I think she probably could have moved Yelena around a little more, uh, tried just throwing junk at her, anything. But, you know, Yelena was in super impressive form. I want to diverge a little bit here. You said this was a tough watch as fans of Coco Goff. But I want you to now think about your position as a tennis fan and grapple with your future as a fan of tennis and being fans of tennis players with pretty much all your faves gone from the sport. Mm -hmm. Like there is nobody outside of Rafa, as far as I can tell, that stirs intense emotions for you on a tennis court anymore. Correct. Yes. And so I think this is a unique crisis of of sorts for people like us. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of the listeners When you become a fan of somebody new, when your previous faves retire, there's a long courting process before (laughs) you become invested in somebody else. And I'm actually enjoying that part of watching tennis right now. I used to always hear people talk about how, oh, wow, such a luxury to watch this great matchup, this great tennis match where I'm not invested. I can just sit back and watch the tennis. Yes, it's wonderful. It is, actually. And I'm a fan of Coco, but I wasn't devastated after the match. Right. You like, know, like, I enjoyed it. I I like Ostapenko. I enjoy watching her play. I think she's fun. And and the same with when she plays Rybakina. I, I'll be happy for whoever wins. Same with Pagula Azarenka. Like, maybe I'm leaning one way or the other, but it's not so impassioned that I can't just like it. Right. But you present that you are, like, a fan of Coco, a fan well, of I Felix. Am. Yeah. And I'm saying, 
I am as well. I just didn't, I didn't really care that Felix oh, lost. Okay. Didn't really care that Coco lost. It, <laughs> it was not not even close to being the end of the world. You know? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. On to the next. Well, and also it's, you know, Coco's 18 years old. There are, she's so early in her career. And I know we caution against saying there are so many chances because you never know. There may not be many chances, but still, like, her trajectory is good. She has, in my mind, the most beautiful overhead in the game. Okay. She does a lot of things well. Great. <laughs> Who would you say is the tennis player of the last four to five years mm-hmm. that you are most a fan of watching? <laughs> Ash Barty. I thought it would have been Naomi Osaka. Uh, yeah, she's up there. And if Serena Williams were currently 25 years old, having a baby, <laughs> on and off the tour for two years, doing whatever she wanted, here's that word again, apoplectic. Oh, yeah. Like, you would yeah. be just disgusted. <laughs> totally. And instead, you but have I this rational through... outlook now on what Naomi is doing. Sure, but I lived through, you know, the years of 2004 to 2007, where Serena's career was uh, kind of in and out, up in the air. That was very difficult. But, you know, as we we graduate from our, well, my kind of first generation of forever faves, the stakes feel lower automatically. You know, like my first generation was Serena, Kim, Rafa pretty much. Mm-hmm. I've led you to the water and now we're going to drink. This is what I <laughs> wanted to get to. Okay, okay. It may never be the same. Right. We, Which I'm I am fine with. We, you all, who were part of this never-before-seen class of tennis greats, how many people in their lifetime came of age as a tennis fan with a crop of players like this? To have been able to mm-hmm. watch all this incredible high-stakes tennis, all this winning, an absurd, obscene amount of winning, and to become inured to it, to to just expect it. Like, Mm -hmm. this will never happen again. And so I think there is, as a result, an automatic come down. Yes. As fans of tennis when you're moving forward into another generation. And also, tennis players will never be my age again. You know, Rafa's my age. We will never be that Sanko age again. Sanko is my age. Djokovic is my age. Like, we actually did grow up alongside these people. And that, I think that'll change my perspective on watching professional athletes going forward. So back to the actual tennis. Let's talk about Victoria Azarenka, who has really unlocked something again. And she does this, right? Every few years. She reached the US Open final in 2020. She's capable of this stuff, but... I didn't really know where she was in her career at this point. Well, she came back from having son Leo, I believe in 2017. Mm -hmm. And since then, that's been what? One, two, three, four, five, six full calendar years of tennis. This is only the second slam quarterfinal that she's made in that time. The other one was during the hardcourt summer of 2020 when she made the final of the US Open, losing to Naomi Osaka. So if you were wondering if we'd ever see Victoria make a deep run at a slam again, it was a reasonable question. Right. Because prior to 2017, you look at her career stats on Wikipedia right here, it's littered with colors. Oh, yeah. She was super consistent. She was routinely making at least two second weeks every year. Mm -hmm. 
she was she was always in the conversation. Not many people know what that's what that's like. <laughs> no, she was part of that triumvirate that a lot of people are nostalgic for. That that brief period in time when Vika, Maria, and Serena were at the top of the game. But it's cool to see Vika dictating from the baseline again. She was blown off the court in the first set against Madison Keys <laughs> and then came back to win those next two sets like it was nothing. Mm. A three-set match that took about 90 minutes. Right. The A feature of the tennis the last few days, because we have so many boom-boom players left in the draw on both the men's and women's, is that we've had a lot of quick going-the-distance matches. Yes. We've had three-hour five-set matches on the men's side. Mm-hmm. Women's matches being done in 90 minutes. I'm here for it. Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, if you can do a five-set match in three, three and a half hours, I'm there. They don't all need to be five, five and a half. Um, let's talk about Zhu Lin for a minute, though. Vika's a round of 16 opponent. That woman is no joke. The way she was kind of bossing Vika around at times from the baseline, she had some beautiful passes, drop shots, uh, just a very dynamic player to watch. And Vika really had to work her ass off. Uh, as someone said in Vika's press conference, it was nice to see that she finished the match on the upswing. Like she got a surge of energy toward the end of the match, which is a good sign going forward. Do you want to offer anything by way of who you expect to be in the semifinals? <laughs> I told you no. Uh, well, I think we're going to see Rabakina Pagula and Pliskova Sabalenka. Oh. that That's like my head. That's not necessarily who I want to see who would you want to see um, in the semifinals it's close i mean but again between pagula and azarenka i probably want vika to break through i like i think is it because of the fracking <laughs> the frack no not that <laughs> stop you're gonna get us in trouble it's not it's on wikipedia it's not a secret i think if, well at this point okay first of all i have to say always during a slam I sort of get tired and lose track of who's around. Can I tell you, I totally forgot Carolina Pliskova was still here. I mean, just a few weeks ago, she was in qualifying. And then I read the draw and I'm like, oh my God, how did I drop the ball like this? Pliskova's still in it? And she's in the quarters? So how can I reasonably call who I think is going to win? Because I haven't really seen her. Magdalenette. Uh, from Poland, you cannot argue with her run to the quarterfinals. She's beaten uh, three top 20 players. Contivate, Alexandrova, and then the number four, Carolyn Garcia, yesterday. In straight sets, no less. Uh, yeah. Sabalenka, we spoke a little about already. She said in press that she had seen a biomechanics specialist to, quote, please fix this fucking serve. Please fix this <laughs> fucking serve apparently it worked i you know she's always been good humored about it like she's joked openly about how crappy the serve was last year and it's not like she wasn't trying she was trying to work on it but yips happen and thankfully i mean for some people yips are chronic permanent this is why i've come around to sabalenka in the last couple years i have appreciated the humor yes with which she's tackled her problems she's funny donna vekic I mentioned that she's been coached by Pam Shriver at this tournament. She beat the number 18, uh, Samsonova, in the second round. Her round of 16 opponent was Linda Fervirtova. Look at that. 
little Linda. We said the Lindas are coming, mm-hmm. and they are here. Uh, this particular Linda is going to be a menace on the WTA <laughs> tour for a long time. Vekic is also one of the handful of players who's now repping their own clothing brand. Really? Yeah. It's in it's in collaboration with some apparel brand, but she has her own line. That's her stuff that she's wearing right now. That is cool because the big brands, they only do custom pieces for a, a few players. And we've seen that Nike has dumped a bunch of top players recently, you know? And my hope is that because there seems to be less of a stranglehold on tennis fashion by these top brands that it'll provide an opportunity for smaller outfits mm-hmm. to diversify the looks on a tennis court. Something for me that's sorely needed. Ooh. Shall we move on to the men's draw? Sure. Quarterfinalists, Karen Hachanov versus Sebastian Korda, Tsitsipas versus Yuri Lehechka, Rublev versus Djokovic, and Ben Shelton versus Tommy Paul. A lot of surprises here. The bottom half of this draw has been chaotic. Uh, actually, so has the top, if we're being honest. The whole <laughs> men's draw <laughs> has been chaotic. Yes. We have uh, four first-time quarterfinalists on the men's side. That's Korda, Lehechka, Paul, and Shelton. Karen Hachanov, for his part, now has a quarterfinal at every slam. He's uh, Because of his record against top players... He's always kind of overlooked and underappreciated, but he's putting together a really solid career. It was a mighty impressive performance to take out Francis Tiafo. Yes. But that was a powerful performance. Lehechko, somebody that we picked, I think we both picked to be a breakout candidate in 2023, right away at the Australian mm-hmm. Open, into the quarterfinals. Some big, big wins. And by that, I mean Cam Nori. Borna Chorich, and Felix Auger Eliasim. All three would have been reasonable picks to be in the final four at this tournament. First of all, he screwed up Borna's uh, Web3 metaverse experience in Australia <laughs> that he was really excited about experiencing. I don't even know uh, what this thing is that Borna keeps hawking. I don't know. What and is it? I would not is it crypto? Like, is I, it an NFT? I don't want to go into it because I don't want to be accused of something. Uh, I don't want to slander anything because mm. I, I really don't know what it is felix is the one who i thought would uh, go a little bit for the survive the netflix uh, malediction a little bit longer well he was the last surviving one it was wasn't de- he? it was depressing though i was you know you said that our original faves are gone and the stakes are lower i was very annoyed about this loss i really wanted to see felix late in this tournament Corda now, I think, has to be the third favorite for the title, if not the really? second. Okay, so who are your favorites? Not my favorites. Right, right. Who do you believe they are? The top three favorites are Djokovic. He occupies the first seven spots. <laughs> and then there's almost a tie at this point between Tsitsipas and Corda. Mm. If you recall, Corda very well could have beaten Djokovic to start the year in that final. Yes. And Tsitsipas has been there many times, even though Novak pretended as if he didn't know that (laughs) Tsitsipas had been to a slam final. Mind you, one, that Djokovic came back from two sets down to beat him in. Yeah, yeah. Destroyed this poor boy. The way these top players have memories like elephants, (laughs) I don't buy 
that he did not remember this. I think it was a momentary slip. If he had really thought about it, he's like, oh, yes, in one of my 30 plus slam finals, I saw that kid. Of of the players who are left, only three of them even have match wins against Djokovic. A few of them have never played Djokovic, uh, but Hachanov has one, Rublev has one, Tsitsipas has two wins. This draw is, I mean, as we all know, everybody's been talking about this hamstring injury, but the way that Djokovic is absolutely destroying his opponents, it's very, very difficult to see anybody else winning. <laughs> this has caused a lot of conversation in the last day. The leg. The yeah. hamstring, whether or not it's a real injury, Djokovic positioning himself squarely as a victim because of all the doubts, the grave doubts that only he is a victim of in tennis. Yes, he said, quote, only my injuries are questioned, which is obviously not, I'm not even going to name any specific players, but tons of players' in just injuries are questioned all the time. And that is a problem. Uh, players are carrying injuries constantly. Taylor Fritz talked about this in a pretty interesting way today. And he said, like, players have injuries all the time. They're always banged up, even if they're not severe. But he believes that some, well, a lot of players exaggerate their injuries as a way to, like, uh, release pressure. That was so interesting. Now, he's, he didn't say, he said, it's, this is not about Djokovic. Like, this is, I'm not calling anyone out specifically, but he was just trying to make a point. And, you know, I don't, the thing with Djokovic is, like, he is probably injured, yes, but fans are predisposed to think he's a drama queen because he's done this in Australian Open finals before where, you know, when he's not doing well, it's screaming and throwing balls and clutching his injury. And then you see him in full flight playing beautifully unencumbered. Like people are going to question this stuff. Also, people question everybody. Yes. Players question other players. Fans question everybody. Check her blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Every single player goes through this. So to present it as a unique thing, uh, iffy for me. Granted, the scale may be bigger mm -hmm. than ever most other players. But also, it is what it is. Like, Djokovic is on a victimhood tour in Australia. And I want none of it. Yes. Like you said, he's coming to this... Australian swing pissed off. There, like, there's no doubt about that. He's pissed off about what happened last year. He sees himself as someone who's always being targeted, slandered. You know, people are talking shit about him constantly. But he also believes that there's not really a solid basis for that criticism. And we, you know, we haven't talked about Adria Tour in a while. People have forgotten about that. But his behavior throughout the pandemic has been shitty. Like, he either lied about having covid or knowingly ex exposed people to yeah. covid so take your pick like and those that's based <laughs> on his offerings that's evidence that he provided yes that's not us making anything up right it's either or and that's even before the whole saga of the deportation right before he became the deported so i believe like with many people these past three years throughout this pandemic has entrenched his beliefs deeply they're not going anywhere his beliefs are not shifting and the more pushback and criticism he's getting the more cemented those beliefs are and you know we've seen this with how a lot of people have approached 
this pandemic. Yeah. It's scary. It's confusing. It, it, that That is a lot of folks' response. So... What's scary and what's confusing? The pandemic. To whom? To, well, regular folks. Okay. Right? And so, <laughs> like... <laughs> and so people latch on to conspiracy theories and they they decide which facts they believe and which they don't. And, and Djokovic is on a large stage and he's become, whether he planned it, whether he likes it or not, he's become an idol among anti-vax folks. I would almost appreciate it if he just went full villain and just, you know, charted that path for himself because mm-hmm. this this I'm not into at all. Yeah, so I, d- I don't even really want to talk about this shit that much, but we it's this has felt like a rather joyless march through the draw you know complaining about the media quote lynching him the bathroom break uh, thing the other day like the we've scarcely seen him respond to things on a micro level over time and now he's yeah. he's responding to everything this is what has shifted like he was already pissed before he started this tournament and so a lot of stuff he's commenting on publicly the, he was mad about Eurosport showing this video that he said kind of misled folks as to what actually happened on court. I don't know what actually happened. I wasn't watching that match at like 5, 6 in the morning here. But he said, I'm an easy target to be the villain. That's how they portray me. For me, that is now a normal occurrence, but I will not tolerate injustice. So his language is always very dramatic. Like it's very lofty. With this, you're appealing to your supporters and kind of turning off everybody else. I heard a lot of talk about this whole lynching thing. Where did this come from? So Sasha Osmo uh, reported this as a direct quote in English. And I for, mean, for tennis majors, which already gives us great, <laughs> great pause. Tennis majors gives PR to me. It gives a lot of stories with just a lot of quotes mm-hmm. and not much else. Obviously, people were annoyed, pissed, offended about the word lynched, lynching, uh, especially Americans. And of course, it has a very, very profound meaning in the United States that I don't expect everybody to get. Even if like, even if you don't attach that meaning to the word, which originated in the United States, by the way, I don't know why you would use that word anyway. If you just meant a, a metaphor for hanging, it's, it's really vile. Well, because you, you need to ratchet up the victimhood. Right. That's what it's about, right? This isn't being done to anybody else. I am the only one who is suffering like this to this great degree. And now I must, I cannot sit silent anymore. I must set the record straight. What he should have done was come here, keep his mouth shut, blitz the entire bleeping draw, take his trophy... And go. And said, fuck you, Craig. Exactly. (laughs) This is for last year. I mean, I personally don't care what Novak does. He will probably win this tournament. It won't be fun for really anybody but his fans. And it doesn't even look that fun for him. So I think he just wants to win and get out. During the pandemic, during the Adria tour, all that stuff that you just laid out, right? Mm. We saw, you know, some fans distance themselves from him. Yes. And... Now, <laughs> that no longer seems to be the case. It's a familiar pattern, right? Yes. Where a famous people, famous athletes become imperiled based on their own actions. And then arguments are just made by default to excuse that behavior in effect because of how great their talent is. And so there's been enough time now and distance <laughs> from that to where we can just go back to enjoying Novak's immense 
talents. Yeah, because if at the time you claimed that you were turned off because of his actions, he he does not see any problem with those actions, and he hasn't like atoned if you believed he needed to atone for them. So I think we just need to admit you didn't care all that much in the first place. Right, because Which he's is back... fine, just like... <laughs> he's back now with the mask fully off. Right, right. And now you're back on board. Like, make it make sense. Like, I, I just I just don't get it. Well, it's kind of like the pandemic is over, people. And we, we know a lot of people like that in real life. You know, it's just like, well, I'm, I'm actually tired of caring about this shit, so let's just go back to the way it was. There are a lot of divergences with this... <laughs> conversation about the draw we've there, been a bit sidetracked there will always be they are not going to take our audio for a break point i'll tell you that um so getting back to the draw i do want to note sebastian corda uh, of course with this big breakout a lot of people are talking about his dad peter who won the australian open in the late 90s and reflexively giving dad credit for teaching sebastian tennis And I liked that Sebastian said, no, actually, it was my mom, Regina. Dad was busy with my sister traveling with golf. Both of his sisters are top-level golfers in the LPGA. And by that, best in the world. Right. Have they both won majors? One of them has. I think Nelly is like the number one golfer in the world or has been. Okay. So Sebastian was like, no, it was actually my mom who is probably the biggest influence on my tennis because my dad was away. And so I, w- I kind of appreciated that he pointed that out because why do you assume that tennis playing dad was the only teacher? He was better, sure. But Regina was number 26 in the world. Mm-hmm. Ben Shelton. Well. I've seen a lot of talk about <laughs> how much of a cakewalk he's had through this tournament. Some folks mocking him. I just go by what I've seen watching his matches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think his could... His career could be what Denis Shapovalov wishes for himself. Oh, interesting. Okay. There's an electricity, a Billy Elliot level electricity (laughs) in his game on court. Electricity. Electricity. It's a glottal stop. Mm -hmm. The serve is immense. The forehand has so much power. And there's there's an effervescence of... a youthful joy and a bubbling over a volcanic personality on court. Not in an angry way. Yet another divergence from Dennis. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I don't want to be... What's the word? I don't want to be simplistic about this comparison just because they're lefties. Okay. But I do see a lot of comparisons. Yes, his draw has not been your typical draw for an unseated player, but... By that logic, any of these other people could have or should have broken through. These more experienced players, Popirin, Jari, Zhang in the first round. Ben has played three five-set matches uh, at majors, and he's won two of them. The two wins were here. To me, that's an incredible sign. This is his second ever main draw at a slam, and he's in the quarterfinals. Could very well be a semifinalist at the Australian Open. That is an achievement. I don't care how you got there. Right. At 20 years old, that is an achievement. Did we even mention who the matchups were for these quarterfinals? Yeah, yeah. I didn't talk about Rublev and Huruna at all. Ooh, 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 ooh. Some folks were saying, oh, Huruna is, he's going to smash this. He's going to really push Djokovic when they meet. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen in kind of the most unfortunate way. For whom? Well, for Holger. 
leading 5 nothing in the match tiebreaker. Well, even right? before that, he had two match points at the end of that fifth set. Even before that, he served for the match in the fifth set and was broken at love. And then gathered himself to get into a tiebreak and then led 5 nothing, 6-2. Had this huge lead against Rublev, who, for her... Many parts of that match looked like he was a stone's throw from complete implosion. I just don't know how you can be a week-in, week-out fan of watching this man play tennis. It would just drive me up the wall. (laughs) Too stressful for you. (laughs) I thought, based on how he had been going through this draw, that he could actually give Novak a push. But that... All those thoughts escaped me (laughs) after winning, after watching this match. (laughs) So not a classic, but an important win nonetheless. And winning the match on a net cord flop. Mm -hmm. That's, that's rough. (sighs) Tough one for super coach Marata Glue to stomach, I imagine. Mm -hmm. I still waiting for the post. The thing about Hulger that I think separates him from a lot of players, and I think we see it with Carlos. And I think that positions them as probably the two most unique young male players that we've seen in well over a decade. They are so hungry for everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could say, well, here's a million dollars. I'm going to give two dollars to James over there because he needs a coffee. And they'd be like, well, why don't I get the two (laughs) dollars? I want it all. Like there's a desperation especially with Holger. Mm-hmm. It seems to be like a a chip on the shoulder too that he just doesn't want to be excluded from anything. Yes. There was yes. this video going around done by the ATP about asking like five players, who do you think should be on the next season of Breaking Point? Breakpoint? Breakpoint. <laughs> Breaking Bad? <laughs> and four of them said, Carlos, somebody else, blah, blah, blah. And immediately Holger smiles and said me me it's gonna be me <laughs> but why not me well you that's know, like, what i'm saying right like it's it's this complete blend of confidence cockiness and desperation <laughs> complete self-belief mm-hmm. and a feeling that he is deserving of everything Privilege in there too, of right? Of course, but that's the kind of annoying personality that top athletes like have. You best believe you know, you that have... once once he saw Carlos with CK, he was calling up Tommy Hilfiger and was like, listen, <laughs> I've been in the gym more. I've got bigger thighs. <laughs> I'm better suited. It's my turn. <laughs> so I do. I really do think that we're stuck with Holger for many years to come. Hachanov, Korda, Tsitsipas, Lehechka. What do you see? What do I see? Yes, look into your your crystal ball. If you're going by who has the experience to do this, it's Stefanos. I think that's the easiest call to make. Mm. I think he was quite lucky to escape Yannick Sinner in that fourth round. And Yannick may prove to be his biggest test until the final. Okay, okay. I just I just think there's there's a limit to how far you can go currently with his game when you shank the ball so mm, much. Mm. It is so crazy to me. This is honestly why I would never teach a one-handed backhand. Rublev Djokovic, does he stand a chance? Does Andre <laughs> stand a chance? Sure. He's he stand a, anything can happen. 
Do I think it's going to happen? No. But I, it, it could be a good match. I think his only chance is if he digs into that first set and pushes Djokovic like no other. Even if he yes. loses that set, it needs to be 80, 90 minutes. He needs to be stretching Djokovic all over the place. Maybe that hamstring will pop or like well, there'll be a niggle or something. No, something totally. to... What? I said no, totally. Something to get in his head and then be willing to play five and a half hours. And also yes. not have mental lapses. Well, you know that Andre... And also protect the back end. Okay. <laughs> but he is willing to suffer out yeah. there. Shelton and Paul? <laughs> that who who knows? I have no idea. I I'm just shocked that one of them will be a semifinalist. Yeah, I just don't know how much practice a lot of these guys have playing against a serve like Ben Shelton. Mm-hmm. Like it's if he's even remotely on his game on that day, it'll you're gonna have to win some tie breaks, probably. Yeah. If Djokovic wins that quarter, wow, this is uh, truly one of the luckiest draws he's ever seen. Not that he needs luck. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> we'll be moving on. Right, so the tennis stuff, the strictly tennis stuff is out of the way. We can get into some of the more messy bits. Right away, J.J. Wolf. <laughs> oh, oh God. Are we talking about this? Oh yeah, why not? Because everybody's out here wondering. <laughs> We're being told, I, oh my I God. There's 72,000 American men inside the top 100. This is the birth of a new era. Who are you going to stand? And uh, maybe it's just a pick your poison kind of thing. Because in the past, (laughs) we'd seen this J.J. Wolf mini controversy on Twitter where he had like the white power sign. The circle thing with the three fingers. There was, I guess, a question as to whether it was uh, intentional or, you know. Yeah. Well, now he's been spotted like in a Trump thing, so <laughs> I'm zero percent surprised. Like I don't, I wasn't standing anyway, you know. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's not fine, but it's fine. Like, there, it's, there are other options. Let's put it of, that way. For now, you know, pick another one until proven otherwise. Let's just say it's none of my business because I wasn't going to do that anyway. The PTPA has had a much bigger footprint on social media since the start of the year every few days they try and tell us what their principles are lots of nothing salads still unshockingly few details about anything then on mlk day i guess they really are a corporation now (laughs) yes on mlk day they issue a, a tweet saying quote The PTPA honors Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dedication to equality and inclusivity. There is still much to be done in tennis, but we look forward to being part of the solution and supporting players' efforts. And there's a picture of the Reverend looking pensive. Okay, cool. I mean, as you said, that is like a very corporate thing to say. I would look to the uh, composition of the executive committee. And say, we all need to do better. Mm. Um, They also had a statement on the late night matches after the Andy Murray controversy. And again, it was like, go girl, give us nothing. It it was a lot of words signifying not much. We look forward to being part of the solution. To what is the problem? To what? What is the problem exactly? And what exactly do you plan on doing to solve this problem that we don't know what it is you're aware about. Yeah. 
you're you're sort of branding yourself as a union like do something don't be afraid to say real shit unions are dirty they're angry and apparently the wta as an organization is not on board with this (laughs) well that's not surprising at all this was reported in inews uk uh, by james gray he heard from the wta spokesperson who said that the wta feels that they already have adequate representation of their players they believe their players are happy they said quote the wta prides itself in listening and problem solving together as an organization alongside its members and it is paramount for all of us to continue to work together (laughs) this is a a cumbersome statement as we truly believe we have witnessed since the inception of the wta that we are stronger together and the spokesperson noted that uh, players and tournaments have equal representation on the board like they do in the ATP. I think it's clear that the ATP and WTA are not going to look at the PTPA fondly. Mm. They're not going to welcome it. They feel they already have a players' council that does enough. We've talked for years about whether, you know, it's truly equal representation. Yes, there are three player reps and three tournament reps on the board, but those three player reps are not players. They're not current players. Mm Mm-hmm. It also seems clear that there isn't equal representation on the PTPA of both tours either. No. We're told there's hundreds of ATP players who are on board, but that isn't the case with the WTA. And it's possible that a lot of women players are just not as interested. uh, That they're fine with the WTA, for better or for worse. Now, if you missed this next bit, you may have been confused by our opening. But I assure you, it was so good that it warranted... A new intro. <laughs> that was Allison Risk Armitage and the eponymous Carolyn. Carolyn Kramer, the supervisor here. Allison was playing doubles with Linda Fruvirtova against Jalamidza and Panova. You may have seen the scene already. It's been on TikTok. Allison accidentally hit one of her opponents in the leg with her shot and then said sorry. If you follow tennis, you likely know that if you are hit by the ball... The point's over and you have lost. You know, if that's just how it works. The umpire called a hindrance when Allison said sorry and they lost the point. And she Mm -hmm. said, why would I have said sorry if I didn't hit her? Why do you think I called out sorry in the middle of the point? He said, well, I didn't see it, so it's done. And then she says, well, give me the referee. I want to talk to the supervisor. Remember that? (laughs) So Carolyn comes out and... All hell breaks loose. The volume is louder. The pitch gets louder. Allison is righteously pissed off because she's 100% right and she mm-hmm. knows it. And everybody on court who saw it knows it. And you might even say everybody on court who felt it <laughs> knows it. <laughs> of course her opponents know that the umpire is wrong. Like Allison didn't call out the opponents. But if it were me, I'd be saying, oh. listen, Linda... See, I, need, I know how to use that now correctly. <laughs> Listen, Lindas, if you don't do what's right here, I'm going to make sure that this goes viral. I'm going to call you out by your names and you're going to get it. Right. She did not speak in her opponent's direction at all, but she did talk about it on Twitter afterward and said it was poor sportsmanship. I agree. I also agree that a lot of professional tennis players wouldn't say anything. They would just sit there and pretend like they didn't know the rules. I mean, we've seen many examples of this over the years. Yes. We've seen an example that Serena Williams still talks about 
13 years later uh, at the French Open. But Allison, I mean, I, you know, I was, I wasn't really split, but I should have been because I normally don't like that kind of behavior. And I would call it like Karen behavior and you shouldn't abuse officials. The thing is, she was right. Like totally right. Beyond right. You couldn't, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find an instance where a player was more right. And, and did she act nicely? No. Uh, I'm sure she she's probably feeling a little cute that it has gone viral, but she's also comforted by the fact that she was right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my favorite part was when she mocked the umpire. Oh, oh my lord. Oh, is that how you see it? <laughs> because she didn't cuss at him. She no. didn't physically threaten him. She didn't take her racket and beat down the chair. Right, right. You know, like she used her words. <laughs> and then afterward on the internet... On Twitter, she says, quote, she should have called it on herself, and the umpire apologized for his incorrect ruling after, which I accepted. Poor sportsmanship and cheating happens all the time, especially at the junior level. Parents and players spend too much time, money, and mental energy for that experience. As you can tell, I am extremely passionate about helping tennis's future here. If you're working on a compelling piece of line calling or VAR tech, and need help funding or scaling, please DM me. <laughs> Ma'am, she literally turned this into... Shark like, Tank. Like a tech startup. Yeah, she was like, let's make this tennis Shark Tank. <laughs> She's like, I, you know, I got a little money in the bank. Uh, I could be your angel investor. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be a silent partner because she's very impassioned about the subject. But again, this is silly. And this makes people, at least it makes me feel that tennis is so unserious because we all saw it we all saw it why in 2023 you could prove it a million ways the only what happened but the umpire missed it and therefore the call is wrong and the the tournament referee never overrules Mm. the umpire the only people who didn't see it were the umpire (laughs) and miss carolyn and carolyn was like i'm sorry i was not paying attention i missed that point and but even if she saw it they typically don't overrule the umpire i don't think i've ever seen it in my life the other day i got a call from my sister carolyn (laughs) (laughs) if you know the reference if you know you know uh that is one of my all-time favorite songs yeah bar none so what is the deal what is the deal with tennis when the umpire could have a little TV, a little screen, rewind a few seconds, say, oh, you're right. Uh, you know, I missed it, but you're right. Why don't we have that? It's a lack of money. Well, at, at the very least at the slams, yeah. this should happen. But if you want to make this universal on all the courts to be, you know, everybody's always concerned about fairness. Well, if Krejcikova and Sinyakova have this at their disposal when they always play on the show courts... It's by necessity not fair to the lower-ranked doubles player, so therefore nobody should have it. Right, right. So does court 15 have it? The same as center court? Uh, it's annoying, but again, like it is, it does make tennis look silly. And Amateur. Kind of stupid. Amateur. When most professional sports in the world have caught up and they do this. Yeah. The, the difference is, with a lot of other sports, is that you don't have multiple matches going on at the same time. Right, right. You have, like it's in cricket, one, you have one pitch. One event. Uh, yeah. You have one basketball court. You have golf, but you know that there's 
set holes. Right. <laughs> you know, and you have marshals on the court who can then probably radio up to the TV tower. There, it seems to me that there needs to be a cooperation and collaboration between whoever's covering and filming these events. <laughs> right. It's so like, can the umpire have access to the TV footage? My, it or or listen in cricket, there's a a third umpire. That person mm. is off the pitch, off the field, who has access to video. Oh, you, maybe I you see. have one designated person who is in the TV studio, who is mm. in partnership with ESPN or whichever big company is covering the event, and they then say, uh, "Roll that back." Can we get the feed on court seven? Yes, yes, I'm I'm satisfied. <laughs> Can we go back a little bit? Is there a snickle? Was there did the ball touch the bat? Nope. There's there's a flat line. Can we move to ball tracking? Oh yes. And then because in cricket they narrate the whole thing. Exactly. And then you have the third umpire just radio to the chair umpire, and within a minute it's done. This is prehistoric stuff. <laughs> it it feels like a reality show, like a housewife show when someone tells a lie. But you know that earlier in the season, there's footage that disproves their lie, and we're all we're all acting like this is a real life and not like mm. a reality show. Instead, you have the slams. Huh, Craig Tiley complaining about not having enough money, needing to do this because the survival of the tournament is at stake. And then they have big, <laughs> big light shows, big <laughs> drone sh- drone shows. Yeah, yeah, all over Melbourne. Like the, right. the priorities that are on full display and where the money is being spent, it's again, the players are not the priority, certainly not the ones outside of the top 10. Right, right. So, to you, uh, the issue is tennis is naturally resistant to change, and there would be an equity problem in implementing it. That's just me speaking off the top of my head. Mm. All right. We have to induct somebody again on this episode. We do. It's been busy for the Body Her Serve Hall of Fame. So we're keeping track now. We've got uh, Magdalena Rybarikova for sure. Yep. We have... Michael Moe. Michael Moe. We have the bird. The bird that shit on Zverev. The the bush bird that shat. (laughs) Whatever kind of bird it was. And as promised, we now have Arena Sabalenka, who took out Belinda Bancic in straight sets in the fourth round. Congratulations, Arena. And if you win the title after this, wow. What a moment. I mean, you can be kicked out. This is not a lifetime appointment. That's true. So, like, keep your actions on the up and up. As the Supreme Court should be as well. (laughs) Didn't save a lot of time to talk about Breakpoint, but we sped through, not sped through, we watched episodes four and five last night so we, we would be ready to talk about it today definitely much improved from episodes one through three in my opinion and a tonal shift yes yes it uh, took us to madrid and mm-hmm. roland garros that liquidity tournament madrid <laughs> that they're trying to tell us is oh my god the, the beacon on the bay the, five, the bastion the 5.5 slam like you know, not every tournament is going to be the fifth slam. And Madrid? I, I, you know, I am a Madrid hater. They're always trying to, every year they're trying to make it happen. So that features Paula Badosa and Ons Jabur. Yes. 
These are, you know, in an hour, they're trying to tell us a lot about these folks. They're trying to show us some tennis, some behind the scenes. It is a lot to fit in. And they're also trying to contextualize a sport that the presumed audience maybe doesn't know a whole lot about. So there is a lot to do in, say, 55 minutes. I'll, I'll give them that. Uh, these episodes, to me, did a better job of, you know, giving you a glimpse of what these folks are like behind the scenes, taking you through a few pivotal matches. I think they still miss pretty important things, but overall was a big improvement. Right, because they've clearly shown that they're just not going to touch on any controversy. No. No, nothing None. controversial. Like the Yawgate thing happened. It's still happening. Garros, and it's it is. Casper addressed <laughs> it on Twitter today. <laughs> that he was acknowledged so... that it exists. He was fielding questions on his Twitter, and it was like an "ask me anything," and someone asked him about Yawgate. Did it really happen? And he was like, "Sorry to disappoint, but no." And you know what? Every action I've seen from Casper lately makes me convinced that Yawgate actually did happen. Mm-hmm. It seems like everything about him off court is meant to supplement what we don't like about him on court. <laughs> you mean that he's not super interesting on court? No, when he's playing well, he's great to watch. Okay. But when he's not, it's like, what is going on here? Mm. I remember watching him on court 17 at the US Open last year before he eventually turned that Titanic back around. Yeah. And it was it was dire. It's like what exactly am I watching right now? <laughs> there was an incident on a practice court during Casper's episode where it must have been a sitting partner. I don't know who who the guy was. Got like kind of heated with the with the folks, the staff at Roland Garros because they were covering courts. It was like sprinkling. You know, you you can practice in the rain, but mm-hmm. they did not. And they kept that referring was to or translating. It as well. The chief, the chief yes. said this. The chief said no. The chief gave us the the order, and we are paid by the chief, and we cannot go against the chief. And if you want to change anything, you have to take it up with the chief. I imagine like it, this panopticon, like this tower where the chief sits, and you can't see him, Who is but the chief? he can see you. Who you is know? the chief? <laughs> yeah. And so Casper's like, well, the chief is probably up there, kiki kakaing, <laughs> like he's not here. What am I supposed to do? You're here. Right. Like, you can make a decision. Oh, but then the guy, his, I don't know, his hitting partner, his dad, somebody, his dad was there. Yes, but the guy who was getting heated, he was like, why would you, why would you speak French to me? Speak English. I don't speak French. And I'm like, have you been to Paris? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> those people are going to tell you we are in France. The Badosa storyline hit a lot of timely points. Mm-hmm. I appreciated how open, well, how open she has been in the past and how open she was on the documentary because it was not glamorous, right? She was going through a, a tough period in in her career. She didn't have an amazing season. No, she was a newly number two and not having the results to back it up. And they, they tried to position Madrid as this great, great, important tournament. It would have been better to say like, well, this is an important tournament for Paula. It's, well, it's clearly one of the I bigger mean, tournaments, it but it's not important. the it's, clay tournament. It's a mandatory on the WTA. Uh, it is important. I don't agree that it should be, but it is. Yeah, and they made it uh, seem like she was the favorite to win it. Which was... She was the home favorite to win it. Right, that, that like, was Like, there are these true. little distinctions that we who follow tennis on a week-to-week basis, they really grind our gears. Mm. The people who are watching it for the first time, apparently Shea Serrano is going off <laughs> with how much he's enjoying yes. this online. He's which just great, discovered... Like, 
the Ons episode. <laughs> oh. Uh, and hopefully realize that the Fritz one wasn't it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those narrative dissonance issues don't matter to those people and no. fine and it's... they i mean they take liberties in any sort of documentary if yeah. you're in the weeds with it you're gonna notice these yeah. little things right but these two episodes did a much better job of overcoming those inconsistencies like it, it wasn't it didn't affect the overall viewing experience of especially an attuned tennis fan yeah the Roland Garros episode had the benefit of association with Rafa. Mm-hmm. That's like that, he wasn't featured, but he was featured. Exactly, like that gives it more heft, and it gives it a like a cultural point to something to grasp onto to people who don't really know tennis. They're like, oh, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. I may not know his name, but I've seen him a lot. And then the the music, the ominous music oh in God. the tunnel before these matches <laughs> twice. I forget who the first one was, but. Also against Kasparov. Oh, it was Felix and then Kasparov. Yes, Felix the and then Kasparov. Stars of the episode. You see them getting ready, and then Rafa comes, and he's jumping up, jumping up, running, 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 swiveling from side to side, practicing the forehand, <laughs> doing this and this ominous, almost Jaws-like music mm-hmm. that's being played. That's a nice touch. It was, I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was funny to me. And if you don't, if you've never even seen Rafa, you're probably like, "Who is this monster? Like, I'm scared of this guy." The Tony Nadal stuff was, wow. I'd forgotten how I, wild this was. I don't even remember it like that. I think maybe I only read the quotes. See, I, that's you know? it. I don't think we got the video but seeing it, at the time. Holy shit. He right out, he's helping to coach Felix and he Being just paid. flat out said, Being paid. Yeah, in the match with Rafa, I hope my nephew wins. Mm-hmm. Period. And so it's set up like that, and then we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're being told by Patrick Moratiklu that I would never do that as a coach. <laughs> I would never do that. And it's being uh, framed as incredibly unprofessional. Oh, yeah. I mean, they kind of went in as much as they could. And then when the shoe dropped, it was Felix and his team saying, well, yeah this has been spoken about we expected this to happen at some point and we knew his position and we were on board for it uh because to the rest of us it looked really unprofessional and even unkind mm-hmm. in my eyes oh t- but still that shit should have been kept behind closed doors absolutely you could absolutely mm-hmm. have said well you know i'm gonna plead the fifth on that and one. you're like <laughs> as aretha said i'm gonna pass on that one he could have just kept it 100% cute. So simple. Well, guys, I am conflicted here. And I will not opine. <laughs> Instead, it was just a whole lot of mess. Like uh, that, it, that was an actually interesting part. One of the few moments that was riveting to me. Yeah, like this is psychologically interesting. Mm-hmm. Like it, it felt that we went a little below the surface finally. Watching the coming attractions, I was again depressed because I realized we we're gonna have another Nick episode. Like I thought we were done, or need, or at least another heavily featured Nick yeah, part. I don't need that. We don't need that. <sighs> like I suffered through the first one because I had to. Now I got to do it again. Well, he made the Wimbledon final, so you know how that was gonna mm. go. I suspect there are gonna be a lot of moments that we won't want to relive in the second half. Oh, indeed. <laughs> Rafa was not winning in the second half. <laughs> and there's Serena's <laughs> final match. Right. Okay. 
there are a few uh, kind of unpleasant things that I feel that we really have to talk about. The uh, the Age published a story by Chip Legrant that featured uh, some quotes from Pam Shriver. She spoke last year about an, what she now understands as an inappropriate relationship between her and her much older coach. And she's been helping to lead the charge against abuse and exploitation on the women's tour, which has happened since the women's tour existed. Mm -hmm. It continues to happen. And the industry language that's being used to describe uh, the efforts to create change and improvement is safeguarding. Yes. The WTA did hire a director of safeguarding, as they said they were going to, Lindsay Brandon. This happened two months ago. And the job, in part, is meant to design and implement policies and education programs to help players and coaches maintain professional boundaries. I hope that this sort of corporate language fully understands the power imbalance there, uh, that the onus is on the oftentimes much older coaches to maintain professional boundaries. Mm -hmm. There's no reason a 35-year-old man should be looking at a 16-year-old girl. Right. We only started mm -hmm. dating when she was 18. Yes. As if turning that magical age makes everything morally uh -huh. and ethically correct. And, you know, forgive me if I don't 100% buy the story. Hmm. Regardless of what happened physically, these relationships are fraught with power imbalance, with potential exploitation. There's money at stake. A lot of times parents are not there. Mm -hmm. Like know, these, these people have been acting as de facto parents to right. these children for years. And then so to now transition from a parent to partner is yeah it's something and this is and this is something that we have in some sense been aware of for years and decades people knew but then maybe they chose not to know or didn't have the language to speak to it with certainty mm -hmm. and this is where pam has done an invaluable thing here in continuing in in first to bring light to this issue and then to continue to do so. Because since she first came forward with her story, it has completely changed the way I view WTA players and their boxes, their teams. Yeah, yeah. And you look and you see almost every single one of them has multiple men and only men in their teams. Mm -hmm. And when men are dominating those spaces that are supposed to be nurturing, that are supposed to have the player's best interest at heart, I struggle with what I know about men to be comforted by that and not be wary. Right. And it doesn't mean that men cannot be nurturing and cannot create supportive environments because we know, like, of course that happens. But for young women to be surrounded by, like, exclusively older men... In some situations, this creates an opportunity for exploitation. And like you said, if you know tennis, if you follow women's tennis, you have in some way been inured to this because it is very common. Mm -hmm. It's taken for granted. It's taken as par for the course. It's taken as this is how it is, how it has to be. And Pam talked about how now we have the language to name these things and people understand more fully 
what's happening here. And that helped her, like when when she spoke about it. But she said she is still not sure if the WTA is all in yet. Mm-hmm. She hasn't decided. Because there is a school of thought that there should be a ban. I mean, obviously something that can't be fully enforced without one party making it known. Mm-hmm. But there should be a restriction on coaches, members of players' teams having romantic sexual relationships with their charges that if you are a coach in tennis this is an absolute part of the deal right and leadership will lean on well these are independent contractors we can't tell them what to do but you have control over the coach accreditation process you know things like that this is what safeguarding means you're Mm -hmm. putting in practices to safeguard against this kind of exploitation and predatory behavior happening. Now, this story dropped the bombshell that many of you, maybe you knew, but I did not, that Veronika Kudermatova has been married to her coach for five years, and her coach is nearly 15 years older than her. And that they've had a professional relationship as coach and pupil since she was, what, 15? 15. And she said, when we started dating, when I turned 18, that she felt shame about it because of the age difference. Like, that... When she said that, I literally shuddered. Like, it made me ill that she felt shame about that age difference. What is a man in his early 30s doing with an 18-year-old girl? Girl! Mm -hmm. So legally, she's a woman, but this is a girl who we've known since she was 15. Well, this is part of what happens, right? Mm -hmm. And Pam has spoken to this. That because of how things have been, how they've always been, and how they continue to be, these young women are being socialized in a certain way in their relationships and interactions and conceptions of what it's like to be with men and date men and what healthy relationships are. Pam said that it affected her future relationships and marriages and her choices Mm -hmm. for decades. And like, what, what else do you know when you are 15, you're away from home, for whatever reason, something turns from platonic to romantic. You have, you have no other examples. Right. And you this have... man supports you. He believes in you. He's investing so much in you. Like, I can understand why a younger person would feel an attachment yeah. to, you know. But it's not a healthy perspective. Right. It's not a right. healthy relationship. One final order of business on the agenda. Mm-hmm. As Yelena Ostapenko and <laughs> Rybakina prepare to take the court in oh. Melbourne is a little bit of a discussion about Stefano Tsitsipas in two ways. The first is this uh, method of autographing that he's debuted for himself in Melbourne. He's pre-autographed a bunch of cards, which I feel is ingenious. So we'll start with the good news first. Okay. (laughs) Lest you think we really despise this man. Uh, the, The autograph thing, so smart to me. And we both said it, like... You came to me and you're like, did you hear about this? I think it's amazing. Well, but the the pushback against it is that apparently it's impersonal. And my reaction to and, that is... And so what? I really don't think that this is Stefanos' concern with this. But I want to have as little direct interaction with strangers as humanly possible. Still to this day. 100%. If I am meant to uh, interact with and be a part of this tennis world in person 
I still want to have my own precautions in place. And if I'm a tennis player, yeah, I would I, I would see that and be like, call the printers, call the presses. <laughs> let's let's have a photo shoot even. Let's create because there's potential for good stuff here. Oh, like, yeah. All these players have fan clubs back in the day. You had to mail in, then you did your little uh, online websites, and oh then it's God, transitioned it. to Instagram and all this stuff. You could do like a USO photo shoot where like famous actresses are signing autographs and sending them to the boys overseas. Right. <laughs> you could have a new a collection every slam. You know, the traveling fan <laughs> can collect all four. Then you can sell them. There's a whole lot of potential for this. Yes. And, at the, and then it's free. You know, <laughs> you just hand them out, hand them out, hand them out. You don't have to touch anybody. You don't have to stop. Take one pen. Take somebody's dirty pen like, and then use it. I always wonder what happens to the pen. I don't want to touch your marker. Like, do you have to go back and find the person who was last handed your marker? I think, uh, you know, a lot of people probably end up losing their markers. Sometimes the player's like, can I use your marker for mm. a few more? Serena brought her own, as you recall. Mm. But if I'm a tennis player and depend on my body to be at 110%, I don't want COVID. And it's not even just about COVID. It's germs. <laughs> germs. Mm. Yeah. Now, you know who is not happy about this? Who? The sellers of the giant balls. <laughs> no. They're not going to be happy about this oh taking off. Oh my god, the giant ball lobby. I see this stuff all the time, and I see people walking by with the autographs on these balls, and I'm like, I would need a digital footnote to be able to identify whose signature is what. Because <laughs> the moment you move past five or six, I have no idea mm. who that is anymore. And it doesn't even look real it's all fuzzy. I'm sure it fades over time. Hey, they, they know who signed it. Mm, okay. I'm just saying, I would not be carrying that thing around all day. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I like this development. Mm-hmm. The other thing now with Stefanos is that I've seen discussion about why the charges that have been made against him of misogyny and sexism have not stuck the way in, for, for example, the charges of homophobia have seemingly stuck against Hulk Aruna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of have something to posit okay. in that regard. So, the charges are sexism and misogyny, that he's unable to have a critical thought of his own, and that he's an empty vessel. <laughs> Jesus. And the verdict is guilty on all three. Okay. And because of this, and his... Uh, uh, perceived beauty. Mm-hmm. He's able to skirt through and get a free pass. Because what he did, and we'll get into it, was horrible. Oh, the tweets. The tweets. Oh, and his were... subsequent doubling down and yeah. interacting with it. But the thing is that he's cultivated those last two charges so incessantly, probably not even by design, that he's sort of created an inoculation against any of those charges sticking. Mm. You know, Unable to have a critical thought of his own. Well, you know, how can he really be mean-spirited if he can't even, like, write two sentences without it being plagiarized? Yeah, like, this can't be him because he stole the tweet. This can't be him because, like, he can't even understand why this is a problem. He's just a mm. dummy. Listen, but some of this stuff was, like, gross Andrew Tate-style misogyny. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Know? So what he did was he retweeted this tweet from Iman Gadzi. I still don't even know who that was. And it said, modern feminism teaches women to hate men. Women to hate women that are proud to be women and makes men ashamed to be men. It's a real shame to see something that was initially pure turn so cancerous. 
No, really, really untrue. <laughs> like he knows the history and philosophy right. of feminism and thought it was pure. So Dude. this happens, this is early December, the blowback starts happening to Tsitsipas, and he starts tweeting. He says, in my opinion, everyone is and should be equal to everyone, no matter your background, gender, religion, ethnicity, or race. Modern feminism has swerved from gender equality into a cult of outrage that seeks to disparage men. How is that fair? Like, this is incel stuff. Yes. How would Jonathan, how is that fair? It's so unfair. Everybody is equal. And then he goes this on. This is very res- stupid, stupid In stuff. response to Catherine Whitaker, who calls him out, he says, I have based this on some of my own experiences and encounters. I have educated myself on that subject by asking female friends and acquaintances. He hands out a postcard, signed postcard, and said, well... Do you have a moment for me to pick your brain on feminism? (laughs) He goes on to say, I don't believe in patriarchy. Equality and unity is a solution to everything. What a luxury. Okay. I mean, it still exists even if you don't believe in it. I think think you're on to something. Like, we're not dealing with a full deck here. No. And that's where I think he gets a little bit of a pass. People think he's just not really that bright. Uh, (laughs) For example... um, I'm pretty sure I went and copied his tweets and put them into Google to find out if those two were plagiarized. Yes. This is his reputation <laughs> at the this replies. Point. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, to be honest, I don't think that people take misogyny all that seriously unless it's overt, unless it's abusive. You and know? even then they find ways to yeah. excuse it. I mean, the thing with Holger Huna is that he actually said a slur, you know, um, that was that's easy to put your finger on. But this is a little bit more complex. And then, though, they do protest too much response from him and his mother. Yeah, yeah. With Stefanos, uh, there were a lot of women, a lot of female fans defending it. And I was just like, what are you doing? You can be a fan and also say, this sucks. Because it does. The thing with Holger, too, is that he was so new and raw as a tennis player. Nobody knew who he was. All we knew for a lot of folks is that, oh, there's this guy who is doing too much and he did this and he said this. So it's easier to take shots it's easier to punch down, right? We oh, know this. Yeah. It's it was, so much easier to punch down. It and was. so in that moment, it's easier for the charges to quote unquote stick because you can replicate these charges in jokes over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes deserving. Whereas with Tsitsipas, you make this your online identity and you're going to get a lot more blowback. Oh, yeah. And if you criticize Tsitsipas, and I have experience with this, 10,000 weak-minded men will say that you're jealous of Tsitsipas because he's rich, attractive, he can get any woman he wants. Thank you, I'm not really interested in that. Uh, But any criticism, you're just met with endless ad hominem attacks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you're upset about the fact that Tsitsipas isn't getting the desired treatment based on his actions, you're absolutely right. I'm 100% in your corner. And the reasons why, which we just speculated on, they suck. And we wish they weren't the case. And they may not even be the reasons why. But I think that may have something to do with it. All right. So we have women's quarterfinals to watch while editing this episode. We will be back with you most likely on Sunday to recap the entire tournament. The GoFundMe, of course, is still open until the end of the tournament. Did you say Sunday? We'll probably record Monday. 
The tournament ends on Sunday. Well, Saturday morning at like I mean, 7 a.m. I work Sunday. Oh, right. Okay, so at the end of the tournament, at some point, we will record the yes. final episode. We'll close the GoFundMe after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find everything BodyServe related, including the GoFundMe at linktree.com slash thebodyserve. Thanks to everybody who's already donated. If you have donated $75, you will be getting... I think we can say this without the GoFundMe well, we'll see. investigators you're, tracking us down. You're right? tempting fate here. <laughs> uh, if you've donated 75 or more, you'll be getting a new BodyServe postcard as well as two bookmarks. And then, of course, 150 and above and then 250 above, there's other things that come along with that. So if you have donated at those levels, please send us your addresses. If you've done so in the past, just shoot a note to say it's at the same address. Okay? And if you liked the new intro, let me know. I need compliments. Well, listen, I've had people say that you need to be singing on this show. Who? Because I've made it. Me? Ian, for one, has said it. Because I went back and found an old tweet. Mm. Something to do with singing. No, I'm more of like a karaoke vibe. Right. You know, when it's loud and there's a lot of people, it sounds okay. This is a determined effort for you to not (laughs) be singing on this show because... You cannot go 20 minutes recording without something being said that conjures a song. Right, and often, right. with my tone-deaf self, <laughs> I just give in to it. You do. You do. And we know, I know, that you are a wonderful singer. No. Because mm-hmm. Here we go. I'll sing and people are like, oh, that don't sound good at all. So <sighs> I'm going to keep it to myself. Anyway, if you so, liked the intro... What, I, what I'm saying is maybe in future seasons part of the gofundme can be people paying money to hear you sing i don't think so i'm not a trained monkey anyway uh as i, I was, tried i tried as Ian. i was trying to say like 12 times mm. if you have any other suggestions for intros i'm willing to experiment don't set your sights too high because i'm not a professional like editor oh you got confidence now but you know the venus intro is always the standard that's the meat and potatoes but sometimes we do branch out anyway Thanks for listening. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And my name is James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. We are the body serve. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.